Wow, the beauty of technology. That's awesome right there, isn't it? If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 1. We are going through the Psalms during these summer months. Last week, we looked at the very first Psalm, not Psalm 1, but we looked at the very first Psalm that was ever written. It was written by Moses, and that's the Psalm we looked at last week. This week, though, we will go to the first Psalm and the whole book of Psalms, all right? So we're at Psalm chapter 1. Now, if you've ever been to the mall, it's probably been a while since you've been to the mall, especially during COVID, or if you've been through an airport, you're not sure, you're not familiar with where the stores are, where your next gate is, you'll go find one of those famous maps that they have out there that you can look supposedly on this big board, this big diagram, and you will see where all the different locations are. And as you look at that map, it tells you where you are, but it also tells you where you need to go. And that's what the book of Psalms is, and certainly Psalm chapter 1 is that mind map, if you will, for your mind and your heart to engage and know where you are today, but the question is, where are you heading to from here? What's next? And really, in this first Psalm, he will draw in a conclusion, the writer of Psalms, that there is a reality for each and every one of us in this room, and we have one of two paths that we are on, and one of two paths which we can choose as we move on and in this very room today everyone has arrived where you are today in your heart not just sitting in a chair at putnam city baptist church but where your heart is with god there are some people here who are really seeking answers for their life there will be some who come on this campus today who are trying to discover who god really is there are some people who will be here because they have a drug problem somebody got them out of bed and drug them all the way down here to pcbc and and they don't want to be here i understand that there are some people who are here who, who are questioning, where are you in all this mess, God? All different kinds of heartbeats. And that's where we came into this space, but where do we go from here? As we take our next steps in our journey of faith, are we willing to let him be the Lord of the journey to shepherd us in a straight path, or will we find that the enemy has deceived us and gotten us to take a detour? Well, as we come, knowing that there's a variety of different heart responses at this very moment, our desire is that our next heartbeat would be a heartbeat that would glorify and honor the Lord. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, you can ignore his roadmap, his design, and you can just go off on your own journey, your own venture. Many of you are casualties of war on family vacations because you didn't follow the map. You decided you could get there on your own, and that didn't turn out so well. And that's the same thing as we get about the realities of our life. So Psalm chapter 1, let's read all the verses together. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That person will be like one who is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. If you just heard those few short verses, that ought to be enough to get you to tune in this morning, to wake up and to realize that there's a way that I can have a success in life. There's a way that I can prosper and, and bear great fruit in my lifetime. There is a way. But there's another way, for it says the wicked are not so. They are like shaft that is blown through the wind, and the wind blows it away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked 
will perish. This psalm is referred to as the two ways or the two paths. It outlines the reality that a life can take either a uh, right turn or a left turn. Can go down this direction, God's design, or can reject that and just do what you want to do and live life under your terms. You get to choose. God loved you so much, he didn't make you to be a robot. He gave you that ability to choose your next steps, to, to choose the decisions you make throughout a day. And you have to choose between his way or another way. So we take a look at this psalm, we're going to see that one way, the, the path of righteousness, that there is a righteous way, a way that is holy and a way that honors God. There's that path. There's another path, and many are on it, the Bible says. It will take a different route, a different way. The four-lane highway, their own way. They are on that road with Frank Sinatra who said, I did it how? My way. Oh, nice. How about that one? A crooner in the audience. There is the way of the righteous. There's the way of the wicked. There's a way that you can prosper and flourish, or there is this way where you will flounder and fail. You can take the righteous path and there you will prosper or you can take the way of the wicked where you find they end up perishing. As we talk about this concept of wickedness or the wicked way or the righteous way, can you think of somebody who comes to your mind when you think of somebody who is wicked? Now don't look at them, but I'm saying <laughs> uh, when you think of somebody who just has a wicked heart, in a wicked way about them, certainly there are names in history that come to mind. Adolf Hitler immediately rises to the top of the list. That's why, and, and if you're here today and you're named Adolf, it's because you were born before World War II, all right? Nobody names their baby Adolf much anymore, nor do they name him Judas. Have you noticed that's not a real popular name going around these days? Name your little baby Judas? Or name him Benedict after Benedict Arnold? Or how about your sweet little baby girl Jezebel? <laughs> there are names and testimonies that seem to rise to that occasion of wickedness. What about righteousness? Can you think of somebody who comes to your mind who represents righteous ways and righteous living? Someone who never does anything wrong, that, that living saint that you know? Now, now, now besides your mother-in-law, who else do you know that matches that description. Anybody? Well, Jesus. As we work through this, we, we look at these two terms, wickedness and righteous, and we have to wrestle with our realities, the meaning of those words. Because if you lose the meaning of those words, if you don't see it through the light of Scripture, we might see it through the light of our culture. Because you know what's deemed wicked today is anything deemed wicked anymore. You notice it's radically different than when you were growing up? What was once labeled wicked or wrong is now celebrated and rejoiced and even given holidays. Lord help us. And yet as we look at this, let's make sure that we don't get confused on both definitions, wickedness and righteousness. We wrestle with the truths. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have been wicked all of us have fallen short of God's glory. So before we start throwing stones at certain people or categorizing or labeling, let's, let's wrestle with some realities out of Scripture. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64, 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of us, it says, not some of us. Not just those wicked people we just picked on in human history. 
But all of mankind who's walked on this earth apart from Jesus are unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. Romans 3.10 says, it is written, quoting from the Old Testament, there's no righteous person, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks out God. That's in our natural man. So you understand we all wrestle with wickedness. We all have fallen in the category of living a wicked testimony because wickedness is not just that upper scale 1% of the evildoers of world history. Anything that does not honor God or attains to his glory is wicked. We can't just look at Adolf Hitler. We have to look in the mirror. We can't just label certain people, but we have to realize it is a struggle of human flesh, and we have all gone that way. But I mentioned Judas's name earlier. Judas isn't known for being a wicked man like Adolf Hitler was. He's known for a different way. He, if you looked at Judas back in the day, if we'd been living in those days, we would have labeled Judas a righteous man. After all, he's one of Jesus' twelve. After all, we've seen him for three years moving through our town and ministering to people. We've watched him get handed the treasury of Jesus' ministry, and he was entrusted with one of the most awesome, fearsome responsibilities of taking care of the treasury. And we would have labeled him a righteous man. But we know in the end that his heart had never been changed. While he was in the presence of Jesus, Jesus had never been the Lord and master of his heart. Therefore, he was a wicked man, not holy, not one of his true followers, just playing the part on the outside, but never being transformed on the inside. So here's a conclusion about wickedness. You can be a good person. You can be religiously active. You, you can say the right things and look the right part, and on the outside, everybody can look at you and think, man, that guy really loves God. But only God knows the heart of a person. What makes a person wicked is the reality that they say, I'm good on my own. I got this. And I'm going to be really good. I'm going to be a good man. I don't think Judas set out to be a betrayer. I don't think he set out to be a wicked man. But anybody outside of the holy provision of God through Jesus Christ falls in the category of wicked. Because I'm unholy. I, I, my righteousness is like filthy rags, just like Judas. Example number two, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, 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 the denomination of the day. They didn't have Baptists and Methodists back then. They had Pharisees and Sadducees among the Jews. And in all their denominational struggles, they were very religious people. They were church-going folk. They were righteous acting, acting people. That's called self-righteous. They were strict keepers of the law, but Jesus rebuked them. And he, he said this to them on on several occasions at different times and, and one in particular said let me let me tell you this you are of your father not Abraham but who the devil what did he just say they're wicked your heart is wicked it wasn't because they weren't doing the religion thing it wasn't because they weren't in church they were it wasn't because they were not doing a bunch of do's and don'ts they were at the top of the list of do's and donors but they didn't have a heavenly father. That's the definition of wickedness. A wicked person is someone who does not know the heavenly father and has not been wholly forgiven. You don't have to murder somebody to fall into the camp 
of the wicked. But as we struggle with that, what do we do with this other reality? The struggle that goes on within our hearts to do what seems right in our own eyes. The scripture says there's a way that seems right to a person, but it leads to destruction. Wicked decisions. We can be like those in Job's day who said, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. We'll do it our way. Or like a generation that says, we'll do what's right in our own eyes. We'll create our own laws, our own legislation, our own morality. And we won't even consult God's map or God's design. Those things are wicked. But let's see the other path. Let's look at the, the path a different way. A way of righteousness, a way that leads to prosperity and success. I'm not talking about the TV uh, preacher and his prosperity gospel. I'm talking about how you find life, true life, abundant life, life with a holy God. And it is possible. Look at it. Verse 1 again. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. I've highlighted those three key words there because they represent the action of a heartbeat. They represent a path that one can walk on. There is a path where, where you can walk with those who are ungodly. You can live like they live. You can live like your culture. You can live like the world says to live, and you have that choice. You can take in that counsel, and you can listen to what man says is now legit or politically correct or is the way to go. You can go there, but blessed is the one who doesn't take that path, who doesn't walk in that way or who sits. So, so let's, key, let's key in. Let's ponder on some key words in this first verse. Look at the first word that jumps out. It ought to be blessed. I don't know of anybody who, if I said, who in here does not want to be blessed today? I don't think there's too many people to raise their hand, if any. If I said, how many of you would love to be blessed today? I think everybody would say, that's me. I qualify. That. I, I want to be blessed. And so many people who walk around saying, oh, I'm blessed. What does that mean? What does this word blessed mean? It actually translates in the Hebrew, ongoing, overflowing, abundant blessings. It's a person who experiences the favor of God and the glory of God and has peace with God, and it brings them a blessed all day long life. It doesn't mean they don't have struggles. It doesn't mean they don't have problems, but they are blessed because they're on the right path in a right relationship with God. When we think about blessings or being blessed, we have the wrong understanding. We get a raise at work, I'm blessed. What about when you get laid off at work? Can you be blessed? Paul wasn't just blessed when he was out in Colosseums preaching the gospel. Even when he was thrown into prison and even when he was being shut down and beaten and bruised and left for dead and chunked into a prison cell, he was still blessed. He said, I learned the secrets. Blessing doesn't come from what I have and what I don't have. Blessing doesn't come from what this world can give me. I am blessed in Jesus, period. Because he's on the right path. Now, just because you're on the right path, like I said, doesn't mean there won't be difficult things. Paul certainly experienced great difficulties and great struggles. But he was blessed. Now, let me ask you that this morning. Are you blessed? You see, a blessing, I've told you this before, a blessing is anything that draws me closer to Jesus. A raise at work, while I feel blessed in this world, doesn't may not necessarily draw me closer to Jesus. 
It may even be promoting me into more responsibilities. It keeps me from being with my family or being with my God and serving him in this kingdom. It may not be the blessing you think it is. A blessing is anything that draws me closer to him. This word blessing also means actually to advance forward. It is blessed because I'm growing and I'm maturing and I'm moving along in my faith. I'm not heading down a road of destruction. I'm not on some detour. I'm actually growing and being transformed into his image. That is the blessed life. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. But blessed is the person who does not walk. There's the next word, walk. So I have to ask the question, which path am I walking on? Today as you leave this place, will you leave here with a desire to be in the center of God's will, the shepherd guiding you and making your path straight because you're not leaning on your own understanding? You're not living where you want to live and doing what you want to do. You are submitted and surrendered to him. That will be the blessed path. That will be the blessed journey. You have to ask the question, where are my feet taking me? And where have I planted my feet? Where am I going? And who am I receiving counsel from? My direction is not directed by the counsel or the thinking or the opinion and wisdom of others. My feet are being guided by the wisdom of Almighty God, and that's why it's a holy path. You get to choose. Where are you getting your counsel? What voice are you listening to? Here it says, the righteous are those who don't follow others off the map, but they actually look at God's roadmap and God's design, and they allow him, the Lord God, to be their shepherd. So it talks about our walk. It even talks about where we stand. Look at the next part. That's the next word that jumps out. Nor does this person stand in the path of sinners. What we find here is somebody who maybe has strayed. They have started walking down the path like the rest of the world, have started listening in, have slowly and subtly taken on some of the ways of their culture. And all of a sudden they find themselves standing firm in the ways of the world. Instead of standing on the truth of God's word, they're standing on public approval, a public opinion. They serve what others are saying are the ways to go and they now find themselves dwelling there. And you're standing, you're not moving, you're not going anywhere, you're entrenched. That word in the Hebrew, sit, actually means to dwell or to plant. It's what you're doing right now. You are sitting in a chair. That's where you are dwelling for these next few minutes. I know it seems like hours, but for the next few minutes, that's where you are dwelling. You're, you're, you're planted right there. The Bible says after you go walking in the counsel of the ungodly, all of a sudden you find yourself sitting in it, sitting among it absorbing it it just becomes the new way the new life have you noticed that challenge of a cold heart have you noticed that strained path that we are easily drawn to now as you look at this when it says nor do we sit in the seat of scoffers we're not to listen to the counsel of the wicked we're not to be there we're not to stand there we're not to sit there don't draw the wrong conclusion just like the Pharisees did. Matter of fact, they would use Psalm 1 on the Lord Jesus himself. They read that. They sang this psalm. This was the psalm, the number one psalm of the hymn book was Psalm 1. They knew it. They'd memorized it. They sang it regularly. 
and they threw it at Jesus in a twisted form. Don't twist this truth. You see, the Pharisees looked at that and they said, well, obviously from Psalm 1, if you're wicked, if you don't know the Lord, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to come near you. I'll be unclean if I'm even in your presence. And they withdrew from the world. This is not saying to withdraw from the world. It's just saying don't get your counsel from it. It's saying that shouldn't be your fellowship. Matter of fact, we know in Scripture, Paul taught, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Hardest thing I ever had to do when I became a Christian. My best friend, all through middle school and high school, we played football together, basketball together. We had all said we'd be each other's best man in each other's weddings. And then I got saved as a junior. Unfortunately, at that time, Sid was my drinking buddy. He was the one that was with me, and when we were together, we were cruising down the wrong path. Fortunately, Cammie came along, and that upgraded my path. Made it a lot easier to hang out on that path because she was over there, he was over here. But Jesus transformed my life. The toughest thing I ever had to do was I kept having a relationship with Sid, but not the same way we used to. He would call me up, hey man, we doing the party scene this week? No, Sid, I can't. I'm different. The Lord has changed me. And pretty soon we started drifting apart. Not because I was rejecting him. Frankly, he didn't want to be on my path with me at that time. Now, I've come to understand that Sid has come to know the Lord over these years. I thank God for that. And if we're not careful, we, the church, can become a holy country club instead of a holy ambassador to a world that needs Jesus. So don't look at this and say, well, man, I can't get near those wicked people. Well, aren't you glad somebody came to you, wicked person? I'm glad somebody got to me. And this isn't saying not to be there. And that's what the Pharisees said to Jesus. You're wicked. You're not a true rabbi. You're hanging out with sinners. Don't you know Psalm number one? You don't even have the basics down, Jesus. Jesus says, you don't get it. You see, when Jesus was spending time with sinners, he wasn't sinning with them. He didn't take on their counsel. He didn't take on and say, oh, that's what, man, my Holy Father was holding out on me. He was holy among them. And they weren't his best friends, but he was a friend to sinners. And so don't read this and don't get all legalistic with it. But at the same time, let it be an accountability. Am I spending too much time? Am I not just trying to reach the wicked? Am I starting to hang out and think like the wicked? You see the balance? You see the difference? Because I would encourage you, the righteousness of God's people are called to go into all the world. They're not called to go to church. We're called to go to the world. And so let's transition, and let's transition now to the way we are to go our righteous compass look at verse two you say how are we going to get through all this you're going to listen listen faster here we go look at verse two but instead of listening instead of sitting among it instead of standing in the middle of it there is a different path the righteous person delights in the law of the lord the word delight ought to jump out at it means what we find pleasure in You see, the wicked find pleasure in the things of this world, what they can get out of this lifetime. But a righteous person finds pleasure in God's eternal word, in God's eternal plan, in God's roadmap for life. We live above and beyond this human experience. We delight in the law of the Lord, the word of God. 
Now, even the righteous can fall short, and even the righteous can fall short in the way we delight. Because we delight in God's forgiveness, don't we? We delight in God's grace and His mercy and His gifts, don't we? Question, do we delight when we're in the Word of God the same way we do His forgiveness and His grace? If not, this morning we ought to fall on our knees and say, God, soften my hardened heart. God, return to me a hunger and an appetite that I might delight in the right things, the things that matter, the things that are eternal, and may it be your holy living word, the word of God and the living word, Jesus. Go on. We delight in the law of his word and on his law. Look at this. He meditates day and night. Let's, let's, let's dig in on a couple key words here. Look at that word meditate. Now, when you think of meditation, that sounds like some cheesy, mystical, religious concept, doesn't it? Shh, be quiet. Shh. Meditate. Mm, with, mm, no. That's an Eastern mystical approach to meditation. There's nothing wrong with being in a moment of silence and clearing your mind, but, but on this it says meditate day and night. What does that mean? It means literally to marinate, to be baptized in it, to, to, to think on it, to dwell on it all day long. Look at it. Meditate day and night. In the Hebrew, it's the imperfect tense here, which expresses continuing unfinished action. It means all day long, as I start my day, I ought to start my day in the Word. I need a road map. God, speak to me. If I don't pick up the road map, I go out, and what I'll find is I'll take the wrong path, a way that seems right to me, a way that seems right to my culture, because I don't have the road map. So he says in the day, at the beginning of the day, meditate on his word. This word means sustained concentration. Intense concentration, focusing on that word. But look at what it says. To focus on it day and night, it means throughout all the day. Now, who's doing that? We feel guilty because we're not reading the Bible every day. It doesn't say blessed is the man who reads his Bible every day, does it? What does it say? The blessing comes when we're in the Word every day, and the Word's in us. There's a big difference between reading the Bible and meditating on his Word. You can read it all day. The Pharisees read it cover to cover. But it wasn't in them. It was just a rule book. Think about it. If Adam and Eve had been meditating on God's Word day and night, all day long, every day, we wouldn't be the wicked situation we experience on this planet. But somewhere along the way, and think about it, their Bible was that thin? One command. I've given you everything in this garden. It's all yours, but this one tree. And if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. That's all that had been given to them. One verse. They couldn't even meditate on a single verse. And somewhere along the way, Adam and Eve were so familiar with the verse that they got casual with the verse. Yeah, I know what God's Word says. I know what God's Word says. Hey, Eve, I'm hungry. Hey, why don't you try that new internet recipe about that new fruit pie? 
oh yeah i'm kind of tired of that old apple and cherry and peach how can you be tired of apple cherry or peach pie that new fruit pie let's go shopping oh they were shopping for fruits when they should have been meditating on the word and and not just adam and eve let me just say that that's a struggle for all of us we all go shopping for stuff in this world accumulating and taking stuff into our life that we should not be absorbing consuming or pursuing we should be meditating on his word day and night had adam and eve been meditating they got up in the morning and say oh man we are blessed god's given us all of every great gift is from above god has given us this whole garden thank you lord for this paradise and lord we will honor you in this day and we will never ever ever eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil we know what you have declared lord and we will live by that this day and they start living their day they had no idea on this one particular day here comes the slimy serpent but he didn't seem so slimy back then he appeared as an angel of light and they listened to the wrong voice instead of being in the word they were walking in the world instead of meditating on truth they started listening to lies and you know the rest of the story man if they would just meditated on his word day and night they would have been blessed instead of they experienced a curse and what they model is what you will experience as well you either live in the word or you live in the world you either experience his blessing or his curse so how do you move beyond just reading the word of god to meditating on the word of god i would encourage you to create a new discipline to maybe get a journal to start to write down the the things god is saying to you or maybe you need note cards and whatever verse god shows you as you're reading in the word as you're meditating and pondering on the word that you keep it before you remember when you were having to learn your multiplication tables anybody in the generation of flashcards? It's the only way some of us got through it. Well, how about some spiritual flashcards? How about some spiritual reminders I carry with me all day long, either in my pocket, on the dashboard, in my car, on my fridge, where you spend 50% of your time, where I spend 50% of my time? I need it to be where I am and where I can see it. And taking a magnifying glass and marinating in the word, not just reading it, but God, what are you saying? Letting these words jump out into your heart, into your life, looking at what God has declared, because every word is holy and every word has an intentional purpose to give you a blessed life. Go get it. Verse 3, that person who does this, who lets God's word transform them. You see, when you just read the word, it's informational. When you meditate on the word, it's transformational. There's a big difference. You'll become like a tree planted by the streams of water. And there in Israel, there was lots of desert, there was lots of wilderness, there was lots of barren land. But wherever there were the streams and the rivers and anything planted near that water source, there was life. We live in a desert land. Oh, I know America's supposed to be the land of the rich and the prosperous, but it is a barren desert land. But there is life. For the person who is planted by the streams of water, oh, Jesus said, I am the living water. If you'll plant yourself, you'll plant your heart, you plant your life in me, if you'll take up my roadmap, you will be blessed and you'll be like a tree. You will bear fruit in season. Your life, it will not wither like a leaf on a dead tree. Whatever you do, you will prosper. So many Christians are 
concerned about bearing fruit, but they aren't half as concerned about the roots. Focusing on the fruit, but missing the root. Planted in the Lord Jesus, planted in his word, that's where I find blessing. Not from anything in this world, but being in the one who created this world. So, two paths. A wicked path, a righteous path. Which one will you choose? Jesus would even preach about the concepts of Psalm 1, the Sermon on the Mount. He would highlight the two realities. He would talk about the reality that there are two kinds of trees that bear two types of fruit. There are two houses built on two different kinds of foundations. And then he said this, listen in, there are two gates. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is this gate that leads to life, and only a few find it. Have you found it? Have you found the blessed life? Are you here today and realize, you know what? I'd have to say I'm wicked too because he is not my holy God and he is not my holy Lord and he is not my holy shepherd. I am. Psalm 1, verse 6, as we close. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we've looked through this. We've seen the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. The wicked are those who take the opposite path of God's design, period. You don't have to commit murder to be a wicked person. And oh, by the way, all of us in this room have committed murder. Did you know that? Every one of us has committed murder. You say, what are you talking about? Jesus Christ hung on a cross because of your sin and because of mine. We murdered Jesus. That alone leaves us wicked, but praise God, he didn't leave us alone. You say, well, how can anybody be righteous? There's no one righteous. The Bible says not even one. How can we qualify to be righteous? Well, it wasn't from coming to church today. And in a minute when we give the invitation, it won't be because you joined the church. It's not because of anything you do. You can't cleanse yourself to become righteous. It isn't in your doing. I'll give you an illustration of it. Look at this next slide. Look at the hand sanitizer that has become the number one selling thing besides lumber in America today. Notice the claim if you do this hand sanitizer you'll kill the germs you're safe right whoops disclaimer kills 99.99 percent germs guess what even as strong as that stuff is it can't take it out you're still germed now don't get phobic about it my point is this jesus didn't say hey if you're on this path if you'll just start living better, it'll get better. Now Jesus said, hey, listen, there's another way. I am the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. He didn't say, get better on that path. He said, come to me. I am the way. Let me be your path. Let me be your savior. And I will forgive 100% of all your wickedness. Only Jesus can do that. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Has he cleansed you? Has there been a time in your life where you've called out to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm wicked, I'm, I'm a sinner, but God, I need you to save me. You see, we become the righteousness of God not because of anything we've done, but Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, he made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. I am a righteous man, not 
I'm a perfect man. I'm a righteous man because I'm in Christ. I'm forgiven. His blood covers me. And he is perfecting me every single day. Do I struggle with wickedness still today? Yes. Do you? Yes. But have your sins been covered by the blood of Jesus? Do you have a holy, heavenly Father? Or do you find you're on the wrong path? Well, today, you can choose the other path. Jesus. The only way to the Father. The only life you can ever know, life. The truth is only Jesus. If you've never made that life-changing decision right now, whether you're viewing online, worshiping online, or worshiping right here, where you sit, are you going to sit in your sin? Are you going to sit in the counsel of this word world? Or are you going to say, Lord Jesus, I hear your word. I trust you. Is there somebody who needs to be saved in this moment? Cry out to God and say, God, save me. If you're online, email us at ministry at pcbc.tv. We'll get with you this week. If you're in this room, there will be ministers right here at the front. You can come to them and say, this morning I prayed with the pastor. I nailed it down. I get it. I want to be blessed. I need Jesus. You come. Maybe you already know Jesus, but maybe you've gotten a little cold in your heart. Maybe the things and the ways of this world have kind of caused you to take a detour. That detour will lead to a dead end every time. Maybe it's time to repent. Come home. Maybe you need a church family. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Whatever your spiritual need is, we want to minister to you in this moment. Let me pray for you. Father, Spirit of God, move through this place. God, we submit this time to you. Lord, may it be a holy accountability. May many leave the large path of destruction and find you the way, the truth, and the life. For I ask it in Jesus' name.